Hey guys, welcome to our podcast at the Clemson Foothills Church. We're glad you're here. Join us as we discover what the Bible says about Jesus loving God and serving each other. Feel free to visit our website at clemsonfoothills.com and find us on Facebook at Clemson Foothills Church. At CFC, we're just a group of people following Jesus and helping others do the same. So hopefully this podcast will be useful to you. Now let's dive into the episode for this week. It's like going back and rereading and rereading over and over again. And you know, the problem with reading some of these texts um, isn't so much, um, you know, the, the original hearers of this message, although there might have been some difficulty a little bit, right? They weren't confused by the message. For us, though, 2,000 years later, as folks who don't come from a Jewish background, Boy, it takes a little effort to kind of dig in to get into their world, right? And so, again, it, it you know, as we're going through and we're talking about essentially Jesus communities, trying to, there, there's so many, I think, these little shifts inside of us um, that these little changes and, 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 you know, one of them might be, again, a very embedded theology, that church is just a place I go to. And I know we have a rich history, you know, in, a, in our own kind of tribe and fellowship of churches of saying that we know that. But there's something very different between saying it and living it out, okay? Those are two different things. So I recognize that there are things I'll share, and you may go, yeah, we know that. Right? But making that shift to going, oh, but, man, it's so easy to fall into this idea. We forget that this letter was written to Christians who live in Rome. And, man, this was God's people infiltrating the city of Rome right under Caesar's nose right there. Okay, And so, again, this wasn't just to a group of people that gathered on Sunday. And so um, we're going to jump in here. Uh, nope, go past that. I have a little bit of a preamble, okay? So here's the interesting thing in studying Romans. The difficulties for us today are the same difficulties faced by those to whom Paul is writing, okay? Will we adjust our old filters and faulty thinking in order to embrace what Paul is actually writing? Otherwise, we'll simply follow the path of least resistance and mindlessly accept a belief because that's what most people are believing, all right? This is where the rubber meets the road in our world today, is when we study out Paul's writings, we're going to read something that the majority of popular Christianity is going to say, that's not what that means. And there is persecution that comes with that. There is name-calling that comes with that. There is slander that comes with that. But 
here's the thing is we do have this idea. So it isn't just the first century believers that kind of, listen, the Jews were being asked to believe something that was really difficult for them to believe. The Gentiles were being asked to believe something that was really the majority of people were not about this teaching, right? There's a sense of, of courage that's required here, okay? Is it doesn't, here's the thing. It doesn't take intellect or intelligence to understand God's word, all right? What it takes is a seeking heart who courageously examines God's perfect word and ways. And why I say that is because we have, to our shame as Christians, farmed out uh, Paul's writings to the theologians. We've farmed it out to people and said, you all tell us what this says. Right. Okay? And so the loudest voice wins. Wow. All right? The person that can put 10,000 people in a stadium wins. The person who sells the most books wins, right? We farmed it out because we've fallen under the idea that if it's hard, it must be, I'm not intellectual enough or intelligent enough. <coughs> Except God's word is never based on those things. It's the condition of the heart. Am I willing to seek out and to see and to hear what God's word is telling us, okay? Because here's the deal. Fear, and that's oftentimes what it comes down to, strangles us into a man-made theology that promises life but delivers lifelessness, okay? And this is gonna be, I'm gonna draw this out a little bit from what we're reading today, but here's really what ends up happening is nobody wants to be in the minority of voices. Right. Right? No, nobody wants to be in the minority of voices of going, and nobody wants to be in a group of people who are saying they're Christians and going, you know, I don't think that's what it says in there that you think it says. Mm-hmm. Like nobody wants to be that guy except you wonder what Paul's writing to the Roman Christians and saying, you have to be that guy. Mm-hmm. All right? You have to learn this new. You will be the minority voice. Okay, but again, far too often we would go, but man, who are you to say that? Well, listen, as we study the scripture again, I hope it's shown that, oh man, this isn't what the mass popular idea of Christianity necessarily is. And so that's the end of my preamble, okay? That's the end of that, okay? Is let's jump back into Romans. We finished up in Romans chapter 2, verse 6 last week, okay? So it might be, this might be like jumping into like a cold pool of water again, okay? But I want you to start challenging yourself on something. Are you getting the idea of Paul's line of thinking? Are you starting to get this idea, all right, of, of, of how is, what is his line of reasoning? Because we're on this, we're on this, uh, this ascent, to chapter 8 of Romans, okay? Like, that's going to be our crescendo. And it's not that afterwards it comes back down, but but what Paul is writing, he is building up to what is almost everybody's favorite chapter is Romans chapter 8, except oftentimes we're not even aware of the power of the verse when Paul writes, there's now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We, we take it in, in a way that's, that as we see, is not even minutely close to how great that verse is supposed to be taken, okay?
Okay? And so, you know, we have this idea. We've been kind of walking down, and Paul is sharing with us. He's like, Here, here's the deal. The, the, minute, uh, the minute a lifestyle of honoring God and being grateful for God, a lifestyle that, the minute that goes out the door, there's a descent, right? And that descent is what we talked about last week, kind of like just, just swirling around, getting worse and worse and worse. And we saw this, is that um, God will will turn us over. That's actually what it said, okay? He will turn us over. Except at the same time, he's kind and patient. And his patience, we left off last week with this, this idea that it has an intention. That while we're facing the consequences of just a fallen world and our own sinful nature, he's like, but I'm going to be patient because my kindness is meant to bring people to a point where they're repentant. They're changing the way they think. They're lining themselves back with Jesus. And that's where we ended off last week. Okay. But we did also see in Romans 13, the patience is great, but there's an urgency as well. The, the patience is fantastic. And we're meant to go, well, thank God he is patient and kind and he's giving us time. Okay. But there's an urgency. Paul wrote in Romans 13, 11, hey, salvation is closer today than it was yesterday. All right. Like he's saying there's a condition that's going on inside of human beings that it's not getting better on its own. And there is an urgency to deal with it. OK, um, so if you've lived in Florida at all, you've actually seen a sinkhole before. OK, and what's crazy about a sinkhole is everything looks fine the day before this. Nothing looks wrong. Right? This is what Paul is describing. He's going, there's something that's going on inside of us. And God is like, fine, you want to live on your own? You want to be your own idol? I'll turn you over to that. But all the while, this is happening. And he's like, I'll be patient, but understand something. There's this day when there's a collapse. Okay, there's a day, and on the outside, it may look totally fine. Right? And then one moment, and there's a collapse because... Everything underneath is being just kind of eroded, okay? Is this is happening. These are real things. Sometimes this happens to trees even. This is a big old tree or a really short guy, one of the two. But, but the truth of the matter is, is that big old tree was rotting from the inside. When you saw it before it was cut down, it looked like a perfectly healthy tree, right? So, so the, the message we're getting from Paul as he's writing is going, hey, there's this this abscess that's forming and getting worse and worse and worse. And God is like turning you over and he's allowing you to face the consequences. But don't take that as a reason not to be urgent. Don't take that as a reason not to be urgent because at a, at a time, there's just utter collapse, okay? So we're picking up here, Romans 2. You can turn over to your Bible. Romans 2, verse 6. We're going to cover this section here today. And hopefully some of the, I just would like to give some tools. So when you're going back, again, this is going to kind of take a rereading and a praying through and a studying out your notes and all these different things. But let's jump in. Okay, Romans 2, this is verse 6 right here. I'm, I'm reading from the ESV version, right? So if you, if you want to switch over, that's fine. If it's a little different than yours, this is just so you know. And when you're doing your study, you can kind of get an idea. 
So in verse 6, Paul writes, He'll render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and don't obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Right? So this, we're just kind of pulling this and going right through it, just like we have been here. So there's a couple of things to keep in mind right there. The first two words, he will. Okay, so understand something. Paul has just shifted. He's going, hey, there will be a time. Right? He is speaking in future terms. There will be a time when he will render, or some versions say reward, each one according to his works. So I want, I want to just let that simmer for a second, okay? This is where popular theology and what Paul is actually writing diverge. And let, let me kind of share this for your own kind of like personal study, okay? The, the approach to understanding and, and drawing out what is the text actually teaching, we have to be aware of something. Oftentimes our first instinct when we read is to interject our commentary. Oh, well, what I think it means... And, and that sounds easy, but... What, we pay attention and we catch ourselves and we need each other to go, hold on a minute. What, uh, did it actually say that or did I jump into a commentary of how I'm feeling about that? He'll render to each one according to his works. But, but hold on, man. Paul, you said the righteous will live by faith. We have a conundrum. Okay, we could decide to do what probably all of us, when I say this, when I say kind of the majority kind of view, is what I mean is by, by traditionally, like how Romans is taught and read and told is through the lens of kind of Protestant Christianity. Martin Luther and John Calvin and all of these guys and into our future, like in, throughout the years of different thoughts and ideas and all that kind of stuff. And when we reach a scripture where we go, hold on a minute. Does he mean that you'll be rendered or rewarded or given according to your works? That can't be true. That's, le that's legalism. That's what we said. But we have to be very careful how we use words. Because again, popular Christianity uses words that if we don't stop and think, we can go, man, I'm saying exactly the opposite of what Paul is saying. For hundreds of years now, right, there's had to have been like this gymnastics match going on, like this idea of we've had to stretch and, and do all of these movements and go, hold on a minute, do the righteous live by faith? Or is he going to reward us according to our works? And Paul would say, yes, exactly. 
That's actually, that's actually true. You've nailed it. All right. Only if we buy into the larger teaching that you can have some kind of salvation experience by putting your trust in Jesus without following him at all, okay, can we possibly, like, get messed up here, okay? And that's the predominant, like, view, is this idea of have a salvation experience where you express trust in Jesus, okay? Which that may sound fine, but understand, we've got to be solid on this. The Bible doesn't say that. It's not even anything what Paul meant, what Jesus meant, what any prophet ever meant. None of those things, okay? And so we found ourselves now in the minority view already. If Paul and what he says is true, he says to those who by patience, or that word is perseverance or endurance, okay? In well-doing, as if they seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life, okay? Yeah, well, but for those who are self-seeking and don't obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. He just gave us two distinctly different groups of people. All right? And now understand, when we look at that, go, man, you mean if I, in, in perseverance and endurance, like in well-doing, I seek for glory and honor and immortality? So those are all king words. Okay? Those are all words about a king. It's not seeking my glory and honor. No, no, he's saying that you're seeking his glory, his purity, his perfection. You value him above all else, his immortality, okay? So he's saying there's two groups that he's already identified over the first chapter or two is this idea of there can be us that we honor and worship, the self-seeking, or there can be him. Right? If endurance, we seek him and his honor and his glory and his immortality, you will receive eternal life. But those who are self-seeking, and that's an interesting word in our year of, of uh, you know, when we're in election year, that, that's actually a word like running for office. Self-seeking is like, hey, everything has to be about me. Everything has to be about me. Even the things I like have to be about me. The things I talk about have to Everything has to be about me. He said there's two different groups, okay? And he said, here's the deal. Um, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first, and also the Greek. And you've got to pay attention to this idea. For a Jewish person hearing this, this is, this is painful, this is painful, and he's going to unravel that just a little bit, okay? But he says God shows no partiality. That's good news. That's really, really good news, okay? So we jump down to verse 12. Um, these words that I'm highlighting here, right? The four, the three um, uh, red words right there, four, four, four. This is for your that the help as you study this out, okay? Because this is so vitally important to understand Paul's train of thinking, right? So when he's writing to us that glory and honor and peace is everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no, uh, no partiality. Well, why? Well, for all who have sinned without the law, he's giving you a reason why, okay? He's telling you here. 
This is a verse. I'm going to read through this, and I want you to, to, to let the confusion reign here for a second, okay? For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who don't have the law, by nature, do what the law requires, they're a law to themselves. Even though they don't have the law, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Okay? Almost everybody reading the Bible scoots right on past this. They're like, there's words in there, and I don't know, and law, and justified, and Gentiles, laws, excuse, accuse. There's, there's all kinds of craziness. And the best thing to do when we're going through this is just stop for a second and take a deep breath. Um, here's what is probably going to be, I hope anyway, is helpful as we're going through Romans. Um, is this idea when we see the word law? It's confusing for us. It's not a great word. It's probably not a super great translation of the word, okay? Um, because we think like our law, like the, the law of our land and, and, you know, all of the things that you're not supposed to do and all of these things. And believe me, we're reading all of Paul's letters. We're going to get plenty of understanding about law here. Let me just show you this real quick. Maybe this will be helpful. The law is not a constitutional code or divine, divine behavior manual dropped from heaven. Okay, this is very important to understand. When we say law, this isn't like our statutes dropped from heaven as the law of God now. Okay, Rather, the law or Torah illustrate the official terms of the covenant relationship between Yahweh and the people of ancient Israel. Okay. It's a covenantal relationship. It's what two sides come together and say, we agree on that. Right? And law really means direction, instruction, to teach. Okay? So it's the instruction and the teaching of God. Okay? The law served as a witness to Israel's difference from other kingdoms, that they were a kingdom of priests who all had a relationship with God. Okay? And so, believe me, we're going to have to keep tweaking when we read law. Here's the interesting thing about this idea of uh, the official terms of a covenant relationship between God and his people. There, there's another part of that. God and his people in order to accomplish something. God, God gave his people a mission. He said, you will be a blessing to all nations. And that, that's why he gave them the law. Here's the other thing, and, and we're going we're gonna to love this after a while. The law is good. The law is good. The law did not fail. The law did not, God didn't get tricked. There was nothing about the law that we go, man, he messed up right there. Right. Okay? The law is good. And what we're going to find out is the law is fulfilled fully in us, by the Spirit, according to the resurrection of Jesus, okay? And so, so again, we, I think I've done this plenty, okay? 
is I think we have to be very careful about words like legalism and law and all of those kind of things because we have to be very careful that we're not teaching against something that God is going, why are you getting on my law? My law is good. And, and we agreed on it. Okay, we, me and my people agreed on it. And the purpose was to show the world that this is a kingdom of priests. And what, what we're going to accomplish is that the world would be blessed by my people. People fail. Yeah. Okay? People fail. What Royce shared, which is really important, is this idea of part of God's process of rescuing people is that this law had to like root out all of this stuff that was inside of us. Like, oh, when I look at the law, I see how messed up I am in many regards, okay? But the law is good. Let's look back here. Let's go all the way back, okay? For all have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. So oftentimes we go through this. And again, we try to like figure who's he talking about here? All who have sinned without the law. So is he talking about the Gentiles? And they're going to perish without it. And if you sin under the law, you're going to be just. Here's what I want you to zero in on, okay? Right? That second four, that second F O R. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Right? Here's the interesting thing about this. History repeats itself, doesn't it? Yeah. Isn't that what happens? Like, we look back and we're going, hold, hold up a minute, man. The Jews, they kind of dropped the ball. Like, they began, like, being boastful and proud. And their identity was because they were recipients of the law and hearers of the law. He said, no, 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 no. <laughs> Be very careful, right? Just hearing it and knowing it is not what God planned. Right? So I want to stop here for a second just to kind of reset our systems. And so we're, we're paying attention to this and going, why is this important for the church in Rome to hear? Well, why is he walking people through this seemingly like fairly like meaty and, and sometimes confusing stuff? It's because there are these principles here that God knows human beings fall into over and over and over again is you'll hear my word, but you may not do it. Okay, don't forget back here. He will render to each one according to what he does. That may be stunning to us. And, and some of us, we might be sitting here going, oh my goodness, we have just gone completely off the rails, okay? But he said, no, no, he'll reward us according to what he's done. He says, here's the deal is, is, if you're a Gentile and you don't have the law, you'll perish without the law. And if you're a Jew, then you'll perish under the law if you don't fulfill that, okay? The doers of the law who will be justified for, and he goes into this section, and, and here's the part I hope make us all feel a little bit better, right? Almost nobody knows what he's talking about after this, <laughs> okay? Because we have this idea for when the Gentiles who don't have the law by nature do what the law requires. We have this idea that somewhere there are Gentiles fulfilling the law like perfectly and he's describing those people. Right? And almost, every, almost everybody does agree that that's not what he's talking about. Okay? Is that he's saying like, no, if in fact that were true, if in fact a Gentile did in fact fulfill the entirety of the law, if in fact that happens, 
Well, then they can be justified. Okay? So why I say that is because I've done it. I've heard a lot of disciples do this. Is you have this weird theological pretzel we put ourselves in and going, see, man, there are Gentiles out there that they just know that it's written on their heart. They just, they just ooze like fulfilling the law. Except Paul's not attempting to, to say that, okay? That's almost, that's kind of universal as well. But they're kind of like, well, okay. Again, there's a couple of areas that help us zero in. Okay, We just zeroed in this idea of, oh, okay, there's this principle of hearing. Doesn't make us righteous, but doing it does. Okay, Then there's this idea at the bottom. He's going, okay. God will judge the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. That's an important principle. Yeah. That word secret, nah, not so much secret. More of like, hey, what's really in you? What, what's unknown, what's unseen? Like, there will be a judge. There will be like this future time when there will be a judgment and there will be eternal life. Or there will be wrath and fury. Like that exists and he's saying that. And this is the good news. Is God will judge these things through Christ Jesus. And so, again, this may be a section you've just zipped on through. That word justified, we're going to see it often. That word actually does have a significance of like a courtroom word. Okay. And what's funny is that that doesn't have anything to do with morality. It's simply in a court of law, like you would have a judge and you would have a plaintiff and a defendant. And the judge says, man, here's my verdict. Okay. And when you are justified, you are found not guilty. And there's an entirely new identity now. Okay. Somebody had brought charges against you and you walked into a courtroom. The judge said, I judge you not guilty. You have not... That's the picture that Paul was painting right here. Okay, And again, it can be a little bit, he's going to develop these more, but this is one of those points in the next three or four or five or six chapters he's going to develop further. It's a little bit difficult sometimes because we're hitting these every seven days. Okay. What would be great is if we all just camped out for like 12 or 14 hours and just went through this thing, okay? Um, but so you may have to put in your notes like a little bit of like, okay, I'm going to hold my spot right there and I'm going to kind of understand these principles. But we're going to see how he develops these principles further. Okay. Oops. So we're here in verse 17. Okay. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and know his will, and approve what's excellent, because you're instructed from the law. And if you're sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, you commit adultery. You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, okay? 
And so that, that part right there at the bottom, he's taken right out of Isaiah 52, okay? That's where that is right there. So let's, let's walk through this the way Paul intended, okay? His goal right here wasn't to expose individual hypocrisy. He's actually painting a picture of the entirety of the nation of Israel. Not everyone, not every Jew, but he's saying, like, here is my case against Israel. Right? And then up until that point, Israel was still like, but we're God's people, and he gave us the law, and the law is what makes us great. Except he's reminding them, no, 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 no. You failed at what I've asked you to do. You failed at what I asked you to do. Okay? You, you have failed. I've asked you to partner with me to be a blessing to the entire world. And you had to become an exile. You had to go under the rule of the entire world. Like you failed so desperately that you've never been able to do what I've asked you to do from the beginning, okay? This is a stunning indictment to the Jews here, okay? Because here's the question that Paul's going to ask and the Jews are going to wrestle with. Who is a Jew? He's going to be asking that question and they're going to be wanting to know. Like, well then who is a Jew? Because aren't we the people who he gave his law to? And aren't we the people that he chose? And aren't we the people? And he's like, yeah, but here's the interesting thing. My name is blasphemed among the nations because of you. The opposite has happened. Right? So this is stunning. I mean, you can, you can put yourself in the shoes of a Jewish, like just a Jewish person or even a Jewish Christian and going, oh my goodness. This is, this is our people he's talking about. So again, what's the tweak? Oftentimes, you know, do we, is this a list of things to prove not to be hypocritical? That's not Paul's point. He's saying, but this is what my people have become. And God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles. Right? To, to the Gentile world, the Jews were a joke. Yahweh was a joke. Like, look what happened, you know? Look, look, at, look around, man. I mean, that's what, that's what the Gentile world was saying. It's like, really? Your God is the all-powerful God? And you've been conquered by every civilization for thousands of years? <laughs> this is an indictment on the nation of Israel. For circumcision indeed is of value. He's starting to speak into that. Well, there's a chain there. I think we're going to have to put our seatbelt on as well. Because this is going to creep into our current political landscape of today. All right, we, have, we, we have read a narrative into our world that, that Israel is still somehow God's people. Like the nation of Israel. Okay, that has become an embedded part of our political process. Okay, but again, when we read what Paul is actually saying, we're going to go, oh, wow. Man, there are some loud voices out there telling us what theology is. 
But circumcision, he says, it's of value if you obey the law. Like, that's right. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Okay? So, listen to a Jew, they're going, hold on a minute. I was circumcised, that's it. I was, that was it. Man, we were circumcised. There's, that was it, right? He's like, well, no, hold on a minute. If you don't do the law, it's the same as not being circumcised, okay? So that was the badge of a Jewish male, right? He, he's saying, no, no, no. But if you don't, see, here, here's the thing. Badges in the kingdom of God won't do. Okay, there's no badge we can carry around, okay? You want to hear like history repeating itself? Okay, like, yeah, yeah, we're going, oh, well, I mean, that was a Jewish thing. We, we do it. We go, no, I'm okay. I was baptized on June 22nd, 1997. That's my badge. That's it. So I got, I'm a badge. It doesn't matter now. He said, that won't do in the kingdom of God. Okay? <laughs> he says, indeed, it's of value. If you live this out, it has value. So if a man who is uncircumcised, i.e. a Gentile, keeps the precepts of the law... Won't his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Okay, like, whoa, man, God, what, what's wrong with God? It was so clean and neat and tidy up until this point, but now you're telling me, like, you mean people could live this out, and that's what you're talking about. Like, that's the point Paul is trying to get across is, is this Torah that I've given my people is meant to be lived. Like it's meant to bring life. That's what it's meant for, okay? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. He's almost ex certainly talking about a Gentile Christian here, okay? Is he saying, yeah, you want the Gentile Christians that have not been circumcised but they do follow my instruction and my precepts? Yes, they will condemn you even if you are a circumcised male of Israel. All right, Paul, there's this weight of this message that's coming forward, okay? He went back and said, hey, the righteous will live by faith. Well, what does that mean? Follow my instruction. Follow what I'm telling you. Follow those things. Like there's no bending around that. There can't be you doing what you want to do and then coming back and checking in with your badge of circumcision or baptism or something like that. Right. Okay, that, that doesn't work here. Okay, then so he says, for no one, here's the deal no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly. Okay, this is to. Here's the interesting thing. He's saying, listen, God's kingdom is not about ethnic nationality. Okay? It, you didn't get born into a country and God is like, well, I said it. I told them they're my people. Okay? There, there's no magic around it. Right. He's saying, listen, here's no one is a Jew who is just one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. That's a, that's a very common understanding in the Old Testament. Okay? That's a very, it's the idea of what makes you God's people is the circumcision of the heart. Remember Colossians 2, Paul says, hey, here's the deal. Your heart was circumcised when you were baptized into Christ. Not by the hands of men, but by God. 
Okay? And so he's saying, like, here's the interesting thing. Here's the crazy part, and this is super, like, offensive in the first century. He's saying, you know who the Jews are? The people who are actually in a covenant with me. So, you want to get crazy? He's saying, no, y'all Gentiles who have been baptized into Christ and who have the Holy Spirit and the law has been fulfilled inside of you, you're a Jew. Amen. Whoa, man. You go, but what about this guy over here? He went through everything. He obeyed circumcision, Sabbath, dietary laws. He never misses synagogue. He but his, he's not following Jesus. He's not following the instruction of God in any way. According to Paul, he would say, he's not a Jew. We're going to see later in Romans that Paul actually says, like, the true Israel are the Christians. Wow. Man, that is stunning right there, okay? And again, we can't overdo that. That's like to be read in public and to hear this and to go, hold on a minute. It seems like God has completely turned on his people. Except he hasn't. All of this has been spoken of from the beginning. Every last part of it. Again, we fail. When people decide what God's instruction is about is not important to me any longer. He's already built the case. He said, this is what happens when you idolize you. What happens is, is you, you spiral around and you actually think in your arrogance that you're right. right. And God is going, I've been teaching you. Like I'm telling you that through Jesus has been the plan all along. Okay? But a Jew is one inwardly and a circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. Okay? That doesn't mean the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. He actually means the Holy Spirit. Okay, sometimes you go, I got the spirit of the law. Almost like, I'm not really doing it, but I got the spirit of the law. No, no, he means by the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's crazy, okay, is he says this. This is a little kind of a wink to, to the Jewish people. Um, so the term Jew, which comes from Judah, kingdom of Judah, okay, that term actually means I will praise him. When Judah was born, that was what they said. Like, his name means I will praise him. I will praise Yahweh, okay? And here's like this little, Paul throws this in here, kind of like in Greek, but as a Jew, you would get it, where he says like, to a true Jew, his praise is not from man, but from God. Okay? It's, it's this idea of, it's this, this word, little bit of a wordplay of going, yeah, to the true Jew, his praise comes from God. Because that's what that word means. I will praise him. Okay? So, listen. There's a lot there. We're, you know, there is. Let's take a quick look here. Okay? What are a couple of bullet points? Patience by him. Urgency by us. Judgment is inevitable. Okay, that, that's inevitable at some point. Salvation is not about badges, rather it's shown by loyalty and allegiance to Jesus by what we do. Okay, so if there's another little shift, we're going to get into chapter 3 and 4 and 5, and we're going to see the word law less and less and less, and we're going to see the word faith more and more and more. Right? When you hear faith, 
hear what that word really means, okay? It is to trust, but it's a trust flavored by loyalty and allegiance. Does my life reflect a concern and aim to be loyal to the Jesus way, to the king? Like, is that what my life reflects, is loyalty and allegiance? Or do I live assuming Jesus will conform himself to me? Meaning, like, I'm just going to live my life. I'm not going to put any thought into it. I'm going to do what I can do, and I'm going to try to be as good as I can. And at the end of the day, I'm going to hope Jesus is like, you are good enough, man. Right? That's not what we've read. Perfect performance isn't the aim. Rather, loyalty, allegiance, and faithfulness, okay? In, in the married world, okay, this is very easy for us to understand, okay? Any of the ladies in here that have been married, was it too much to ask to know that your husband will be loyal, allegiant, and faithful to you? Did you feel like that was too much to ask? I'm going, man, I don't know, man. It, it, why do I say that? It's because in a marriage relationship, we, we know for sure what loyal and allegiance and faithful looks like. We don't say, well, that must be somebody that never does anything wrong ever. But there's a big difference when you become unfaithful and unloyal, or you put yourself in positions to be unfaithful and unloyal. Like there's no marriage that could withstand people coming together at the end of the day and going, yeah, you know what? I was kind of messing around with this girl earlier. And, you know, I know you went out the other night with this guy. And I know nothing happened. And we're good because we're, we have faith in each other. There's no marriage that would ever, like, come close to believing that garbage. Right. Like, right. We, like, we know it. Like, in marriage, we absolutely know it, okay? Except the interesting thing about it is, is the prophets all come to God's people saying, you have been unfaithful to God. Okay? It's not that your performance hasn't been perfect. You've been messing around with every other God. Like, you put yourself in positions to mess around with every other God. You haven't found it important to stay away like I told you to stay away. But again, history repeats itself. And the same thing ends up happening in Christianity as we know it, which is this lifeless idea of, but I have faith in Jesus. But I am so messing around with the world that if this metaphor was my marriage, my spouse would have left. Right? Like when it comes to us and our world, we get it. But we have to zoom out and see the bigger picture. And go, man, if God's people are messing around with the world and messing around with the world's ways, we can't go back and say, but I am faithful. Because the word isn't an idea of just, but I do believe in you. It's loyalty. It's allegiance above all else. So when we hear that word, okay, and he's starting to develop this theme, the spirit is what matters. Right? Even Jesus said that. Jesus taught in John chapter 7 about the spirit that would come, but hadn't yet. The spirit hadn't come and lived inside of people yet because he hadn't died and rose again. This is what Paul is going to be developing, is this idea of what brings everything together. Is the resurrection of Jesus that allowed the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of me and you? 
that then allowed there to be justification. They're allowed to be, that at that point you had a fulfillment of the law inside of us. Okay? And so again, <laughs> we're, we're wrapping this puppy up right now, okay? Because you may be going, oh my goodness, this is like, I've heard like blah, 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 okay? Now, you might be going, I'm just, I'm, is, is, the, listen, we're, I'm just putting the platter out, okay? And it's like going back and reading it and studying it. Um, I would encourage you, okay, to go to the website. We have a, a church blog. Do they call those blogs still? I just got to make sure because sometimes I say things that are so last century, okay? Um, but we do have one, okay, on our website. And there are there is an article that I'm adding to almost on a weekly basis of just some resources and some tools that you can go and and hear some other things about well, what is this about this law that we can learn a little bit more and, and where do you get this other like what are some other good resources so you can go and check that out I would really encourage us to do that as we're going on thanks for joining us if you'd like to learn more about us or have any questions please visit clemsonfoothills.com you can also text Foothills to 94000 to stay up to date on everything going on here at CFC.